welcome once again to the Apocalypse Podcast, the podcast about eating an entire pig. I'm James Bellardi, and of course, I'm joined by Chief Taste Tester Sam. Hi, Sam. Hello. Sam, we're eight episodes in. Talk to me about the state of our freezer. Well, we're really over halfway now. We are definitely over halfway. We've got room for peas in there. We've got some bow. We've even got a, a shelf now for bones for stock. That's how much extra room there is. In yeah, I think, I mean, some of the bits are still pretty huge that are left. They are taking up an entire shelf to themselves. Mm. Um, but there is space for other things. We're even starting to think about buying different meat. What are we thinking? 45 kilos? Something like mm, that? A bit less, maybe. Really? Really? Because if it was, according to the statistics... Well, let's assume down, it's 45. Let's yeah. assume it's 45. <laughs> They're based on the NHS eating guidelines of 70 grams of meat a day. We're looking at 57 portions of Bebop left to eat it's a lot still well i'm still looking for i mean how many how many months have we been doing this now how many months we've been locked down five right five maybe none (laughs) yeah we are talking about what i think is quite a unique cut of pork this week what are we doing we're doing the tenderloin now I, i found out online that the tenderloin is also known as the gentleman's cut what's that it's a good example of everyday sexism eh? it's uh oh that's two two episodes in a row with everyday sexism do you know i actually don't know why it's called the gentleman's cut i just know that that apparently gentlemen are supposed to eat it or cut it maybe i don't know but it's kind of like any other cut of pork we've had so far really very little fat on it it's quite soft tender and if you get it right it can be very melt in the mouth if you get it wrong it can be very dry is it called the tenderloin because it is tender i guess I guess. I don't know the etymology of that, but it would make sense, wouldn't it? Yeah, well, I guess it comes from a muscle that doesn't receive very much exercise. Is that true? It is. I was going to get onto that in a little while. So, All right. So, I'll uh, save that. Please do. You know what? You could even cook it rare, which is something that we did with the skirt in episode five. Uh, but nonetheless, there are very few bits of pork where you could do that. And that's that's part of what made the challenge unique for us. Like, you know, I wouldn't want to try and do it with the ear, for example, cook that rare or the butthole. Or any of these other kind of crazy cuts. We haven't eaten the butthole. We have eaten the butthole. No, we didn't. Mm, it was the, the snout. Bu- it's the snout. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Anyway. Now, as always, don't forget, if you have any thoughts on pork or you'd just like to share some recipes, then you can find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram by searching for the Apocalypse Podcast or you can go to apocalypsepodcast.com. Okay, on to the meat. Now, perhaps the saddest thing of all about the tenderloin is that there's only two of them per pig, and they weighed in at about 350 grams each, which is about enough for two people per tenderloin, but really it's sort of one hungry person per tenderloin. So we didn't have a lot to play with here. <laughs> it's still much more than the aforementioned NHS recommended amounts. It is, <laughs> but I, you know, we, we are hungry people. I think that that's been established over the preceding seven episodes. So, you know, 350 grams per person. Okay, it's smaller it's, than the it's other cuts. To get by. Yeah, yeah, it's smaller than the other cuts. And leaner. Sam, can you describe it as it came out of the freezer? Um, yeah, so it's quite um, thin and long and sleek. There's no fat on it. It kind of, uh, yeah, it was fatter at one end and thinner at the other. Yeah. So I think that's going to make it a bit tricky when it comes to cooking it, right? Yeah, it sort of tapers off at one end. Uh, the scientific name for the muscle is the psoas, PS, the psoas major. It runs between the hip and the shoulder. The key thing about the psoas major is that as a muscle it's used for posture rather than locomotion, which means it gets very little exercise, and that is why it's so tender. Fillet steak uh, from cows is obviously its well-known bovine brother, 
Uh, and that's probably the most expensive cut of beef. But for pork, a tenderloin can be pretty cheap. You know, it's quite an affordable thing. So the key question is really, is the gentleman's cut to a pork chop what a fillet mignon is to a beef ribeye or a sirloin? Well, I was just quite interested about eating some a bit of pork that was a bit lean. Really? Okay. Now, you do see tenderloins in the supermarket quite a bit, actually, but it's certainly not the most popular cut. Sam, is it the star of the show in any other countries? Not as much as you might think, actually. Really? Yeah, so um, in my normal research, I'd like to look up where they're eating um, the different cuts that we're having. haven't been able to find out too much about tenderloin. Like in quite a few places, it's thought of as quite a fussy cut. Maybe that is where what the gentleman. Fussy. Well, because it is quite tricky to cook mm. because you've got to get it right because of its unusual shape. There's lots of places where it's kind of like the thing you get in a restaurant rather than a thing that you cook at home. Right. People like stuff it and things like that. So maybe you're more likely to see it on a restaurant menu in some countries than you would think to buy it at home. Okay. Now we've got two recipes this week, one for each tenderloin. Sam, the first recipe comes from a book you got us. Which one? The first recipe comes from Ching's Chinese Food in Minutes. Where did that come from? Um, it came from Amnesty Bookshop, Hammersmith. Really? And that's a good bookshop, isn't it? It's an excellent bookshop. It's open Monday to Saturday. The volunteers on a Saturday are particularly helpful. <laughs> so I hear. So I hear. Now, Ching, I've seen her on Saturday Kitchen. She's related to Ken Hom, and I like the cut of her She's gym. not related to Ken Hom. Is she not? No, racist. She is just a Chinese <laughs> chef. Thought she was like stepdaughter or something. No. All right. So she does quite a lot of shows with Ken Hom, and they travel around China, you know, finding out authentic Chinese cuisine. And I like the cut of her gym. I think she's good. And the recipe we chose was Cantonese-style sweet and sour pork, basically because I was just in a bit of a takeout mood, but we didn't want to pay for takeout. Now Cantonese, right? I always wondered what Cantonese meant in terms of cooking styles because you see it on lots of Chinese restaurants and sometimes yeah. they're Chinese restaurants, sometimes they're Cantonese restaurants. And uh, I looked this up. It turns out Canton is the modern day city of Guangzhou in southern central China, yeah. about 75 miles north of Hong Kong in the Guangdong region. Yeah, that's what you in Hong Kong. We got loads of Cantonese food, didn't we? Absolutely. China splits itself into eight culinary regions and the Cantonese cuisine is one of those regions. What separates Cantonese food from a lot of other Chinese food, is that, first of all, they use very, very little spices and fresh herbs. And secondly, besides pork, beef and chicken, Cantonese cuisine incorporates almost all edible meats, including offal, chicken feet, duck's tongue, frog's legs, snakes and snails. Yes, I am reading this from Wikipedia. So basically, that stereotype that you have of Chinese food when you speak to travellers and backpackers, and that this idea that in China they eat absolutely everything, that mainly comes from Canton. I mean, having been, um, you and I have been to China, and mm. we have seen that that is true of everywhere in China, but I do believe it was in Shenzhen, which um, was in the Canton region, yeah. where we saw people... Um, having some little spit roasts and barbecues outside with dogs on. Yeah, just turned a corner, half a dog on a barbecue. Yep. But, you know, things like bird's nest soup, stuff like that, which you think is being slightly crazy, That that's Cantonese cuisine. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's quite a lot of that in all of Chinese food, right? You're not quite sure what animal you're eating. Indeed. Uh, char suey comes from Canton. Yeah, delicious. Yeah, but sweet and sour pork. You know, I've been eating that since the 80s. It's like a pretty staple British Chinese food. 
Uh, and I guess I was wondering whether, you know, the version that we have over here, is that a, a, a toned down version of the authentic Cantonese version? And I reckoned that Ching was going to get us to something that more closely approximates the the authentic Cantonese version. So that's why we went well, with Ching. Well, that's a lot of pressure to put on Ching because this is a Chinese food in minutes book as well, remember? Yeah. Like it's meant to be quite quick cooking. So it was really great to have um, for a midweek meal when we were feeling like we deserved a bit of a takeaway vibe. Absolutely. And you're right. It was a pretty straightforward recipe. Super quick. You basically just have to chop everything up and then the pork itself, you batter it in a corn flour batter, deep fry that, take that out, clear out the pan, then you throw in your veggies. The sweet and sour sauce is basically just vinegar and sugar and some spices and a bit of pineapple for a sort of tropical vibe. But when I looked around elsewhere, pretty much all sweet and sour recipes have that vinegar and sugar base. I thought, oh, this is sort of simplified, anglicized version. But no, uh, fundamentally, all sweet and sours is vinegar and sugar. And the main difference between a sort of a Western and Cantonese version is that in the West, we just put a ton more sugar in it because that's what our palate is like. Don't we often sometimes um, make chicken balls or prawn balls with sweet and sour sauce as well? Pretty much. Vinegar and sugar. Deep fry everything. Yeah. I mean, this was nice that the pork was quite, like, it was lightly battered, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't balls. Like, it was, it was in like a, not tempura, but close, closer to that. Yeah, really it a crispy edge. It was nice. Second recipe. Basically, you know, we got a lot of pork to eat and, and we just got the tenderloin out of the freezer. And I thought that that would motivate me to come up with an idea for what to do with it. But yeah, we're having to do this occasionally now to be like, come on, we've got to get move on. We've even, like, you know, started having couple of nights of vegetarian meals in a row yeah that's how much we're sometimes trying to avoid the pork so not that we're not enjoying it it's just that there's a lot of it yeah so we got it out forced ourselves to cook it and then the use by date was nearing and so i needed to come up with something to do i started googling around uh, and i found this um honey glazed version uh of of of, of tenderloin uh, and it just so happened that i had bought like three litres of maple syrup. <laughs> just so happened. <laughs> In the preceding Three litres of maple. <laughs> Why do we have so much maple, James? Because uh, you can get it for cheap on the internet and uh, I think it's a really, really delicious sweetener. <laughs> so I'm now... Basically, I'm living my life through maple now. I'm using it for everything. Yes, I have well, started to notice. Sweeten my coffee, just blob <laughs> a bit of maple in there. <laughs> it's quite an expensive habit to have but there we go not if you buy in bulk that's why i bought so much (laughs) okay so how did um maple get involved in this tenderloin dish well first of all i brined it uh and there was maple in the brine and that that sort of sat overnight and helped to keep that moisture in also uh, gave you a bit of breathing space right absolutely (laughs) well yeah i mean it gave me another day before i had to think about exactly what we were going to do with it then um do you remember when we did the short rib and i made that barbecue rub well we had some of that left over so uh i put put that on there shout out to episode one (laughs) shout out to episode one it's still online checking out and that is you know paprika chili cumin all those kinds of things then i oak smoked the tenderloin for about three hours and served it with a maple based barbecue sauce which was mainly made up of maple syrup and then, do you remember a couple of years ago, uh, your brother, Tom, got me a sort of a big bottle of hot sauce that was in the shape of a skull? Yes. Yeah. Uh, well, that was 
kind of i mean it's almost certainly was used past its use by date uh so i just got no, the rest spicy of that sauce last rages <laughs> emptied that into a pan threw in some maple and some vinegar and that that was the essence of that barbecue sauce all right some recipes we do are really well planned and this one was not but i was using it what was in the kitchen so let's talk about the taste then all right chings what did you think well i really enjoyed it um i think that i preferred it to the very sweet versions we get in takeaways felt a little bit healthier it's quite enjoyable to eat stuff that's a bit naughty if it doesn't taste quite as bad for you love stuff with pineapple in it so that was pleasant and i really enjoyed um how lean the pork was and it was quick to cook like sometimes these things we make they take bloody ages so it was really pleasant to have a meal that didn't take bloody ages well it was sort of 15 solid minutes of chopping and then 10 minutes in the pan and then it was on the plate and then 10 minutes later it was all eaten yeah but this other dish was like brined overnight three hours on the barbecue Mm. poof took bloody ages i think i do have a bit of a western sweet tooth actually and a little bit more sugar wouldn't have gone amiss perhaps maple even uh but yeah the batter was fantastic and then that kept the tenderloin meat soft and moist and tender which was really really good i I guess the only thing is is that you know it's quite a pungent sauce and essentially the pork kind of becomes a vehicle for that sauce i'm not sure i got loads and loads of flavor from the pork Uh, a lot of that was coming from like you know the veggies and the and the the sugar and the vinegar yeah but i think that's true of both um dishes actually isn't it that tenderloin is quite subtle in the pork steaks Mm. so both dishes did we ended up overpowering the tenderloin a little bit but did it give you that kind of take out at home vibe we were striving for definitely and i love ching and just want to cook more stuff from my book now right the maple glazed smoked loin i think perhaps i overdid the rub a little bit again Mm -hmm. and that slightly masked the pork taste because as we have discussed, it's not an especially flavourful cut. But it was deliciously tender. And like for a sort of thing that I'd thrown together without much thought over a short period of a week. It, <laughs> <laughs> I thought it worked well. You know, the barbecue sauce worked well with the pork. But obviously we can never make that again because I don't think they even manufacture that sauce. I think it was like a novelty thing mm-hmm. you get at Christmas. So um, I will try my very, very best to approximate what that sauce would be when I put the recipe online, but I don't know if you can ever, ever make it exactly as we have ever again. Marks out of 10 for both recipes. Ching. Um, seven and a half. I've gone seven. Okay. And the maple glazed. Mm, six and a half. I would say six. Well, I think it was still, they were both really tasty meals. And what we're learning the whole time we do the kind of podcast and the project is it's not just about us using up the meat. It's about us giving a little bit of thought to how best show off the meat. Which I think we've done really well with things like belly and the ribs. But maybe on tenderloin, with a little bit more research, we could have really shown it off to its full potential. Yeah, I think, you know, maybe next time we just sort of season it and pan fry it, let the natural porkiness shine through. Yeah, a bit like we did with the chops. Yeah. I guess the big question is whether the gentleman's cut of pork is as good as a fillet steak of beef, you know? Is it is it that sort of step up that fillet steak has seemed to be? No. Well, it doesn't have the flavour, does it? No, texture-wise, yeah, I would say. But it doesn't have the same punch, no. Yeah, and it did. It felt like it was relatively lean and healthy. It didn't have as much fat on it. Would you buy it again, though? Yeah, I think I would, but I would want us to think carefully about how we were going to cook it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a really good carrier of flavours. 
Uh, it's a really sort of low hassle cook. Mm-hmm. And actually, didn't it reheat really well? What Remember, we had. Yeah, because I, I don't think there was any left after the barbecue, but I think we had some of the sweet and sour left, and it was just really delicious the next day. And on that note, don't forget to hit subscribe to make sure you don't miss an episode of the Apocalypse Podcast. And you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, or at apocalypsepodcast.com. Join us once again on the next episode of the Apocalypse Podcast, where our pig Bebom will be delighting us with more tasty porky treats. See you then. Bye!